Somebody changed that clock? Or did it just finally catch up from last year? <laughs> what? Huh? Oh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, I'm not usually looking at the hour hand. I usually just look at the minute hand, you know. But uh, I'll just... That's right. There you go. Yeah, I guess we're making up our hour from this morning, huh? Proverbs 28. And uh, we are going to, over the next uh, few weeks, actually, have... Uh, and I and I usually try to do this over a few months, and um, I just we ended up on this series, and I was moving on this, and so I didn't do it. But over the next few Sunday nights, we're going to have some men in our church preach, um, and or, or preach slash give a testimony or whatever else. And um, so we're just going to this will be the last time we touch on music for a little while. And so I thought I would kind of go in a couple different directions tonight. But actually, before I explain that, let's look at Proverbs chapter twenty-eight, verse number seven. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. Now, that word riotous means unrestrained revelry. And if that does not describe the entertainment industry uh, today and over the last 50, 60, 70 years, unrestrained revelry, I think that describes a lot of things that the world is doing. Uh, not just music, but, you know, the, the movies and all of that stuff, unrestrained revelry. And so um, I, I think very clearly we can say that, that somebody that is a companion of that type of music, that type of industry, is a shame to his father, whether his father agrees with that or not. Um, but the, the dominant form of music, as we've been talking about in Western civilization, is rock music. Is it right? Is it wrong? Or is it neither? Is it somewhere in the middle? I believe that it's wrong, both in the, the musical style and in the content, the words and everything else that's, that's part of it. But for the past few weeks, and, and we had a couple weeks where we did not uh, look at music, but for the past few weeks we've been looking at the basic, basic immorality of a beat-heavy style of music. Whether that is rock music or whether that's contemporary Christian music trying to imitate rock music or whatever you want to call it, um, but you pair that with the drugs that opens up the mind to the occult, uh, that produces, that involves sexual immorality. And so I want to go in two different directions tonight. What I want to do first is, is look at a couple other aspects briefly of why rock music is unscriptural. And then kind of change directions just a little bit and talk about the, the majority of American Christians see no problem with either rock music or contemporary Christian music that is imitating that rock music. Um, and so they object to a lot of the characterizations and the conclusions that we've come to about rock music and, in turn, contemporary Christian music. And so based on arguments that pop up here and there, I want to answer some of those arguments. So that's, I want to I look at a few reasons why rock music is unscriptural and then answer some of the objections to the arguments, all right? The first thing um, is going to be some continued reasons. We've already looked at a lot of reasons why rock music is wrong, but let me give you a couple more. Number one, the rock music culture is strongly associated with rebellion. Turn over to Isaiah 14. I got a few verses that I wanted you to look at tonight. We're not going to be all over the place tonight, but I do have a few verses, so if you would please turn with them, uh, turn with me to them. But the rock music culture is strongly associated with rebellion. What is rebellion? At the root of rebellion, it is war against God. Now, there's lots of different ways that rebellion shows itself, um, but at the root of it, rebellion is war against God, war against God's way, war, war against God's word. That's what rebellion is. 
And so it's, it's the revolt against his authority and, and, and the revolt against those that God dispenses his authority to. And of course, the devil was the very first rebel, rebel, and we see that in Isaiah 14, verse number 13. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And it continues on there. But the devil was the very first rebel. He was the first one to rebel against God. And of course, once that rebellion happened, it's just gone downhill from there. But he's not going to rest until he has basically established a mindset of rebellion against God in the heart of every human being, uh, obviously the hearts of, of as many angels as he can bring with him. He's got a ton of them that followed him, but it's very easy to see then that there's at least a loose, if not even, you know, at, at the very least, a loose association between rebellion and witchcraft. And uh, the Bible says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, right? Why would God make that, why would God make that connection if there was no, you know, a connection to the occult with rebellion and with this 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 rebellion culture of rock music it's it's you know we're, we're not denying the fact that rock music has gone mainstream but it's also deni- undeniable that one of the primary themes is revolt and rebellion against the rules that's what that's what rock music is all about and, and it's a total disrespect of authority the initial generation's rebellion when rock music in the 50s and the 60s was rolling around and first coming in, the initial revolt and the rebellion was against their parents' morals. It was this, this collective cultural habits of decency that they started labeling as prudish, right? And so in the, I mean, in, in terms, America has never been a perfect nation. Um, but for a long time, America was at least overall a moral nation. Now, if you know anything about history or study any history, you know that there is a, there's a seedy underbelly to every civilization. And America has always had that. I'm not saying that America was perfect and, oh, they didn't have any, you know, uh, uh, bars and, and brothels and all these kind of stuff. America didn't have any of that kind of stuff. No, they, they did. There was lots and lots and lots of it. Uh, probably just about as much as we have today, Right. But it wasn't flaunted. And at least people on the outside had a, had a moral decency. When the rock, rock, rock music, the rock and roll generation rolled around, then what happened is they rebelled against that decency. And so Elvis gets up on the stage and swings his hips and the teenagers start screaming and suddenly sexuality is not something that's supposed to be re- suppressed anymore. It's something that's flaunted, Right? And now it's mainstream, and now, well, look, these guys are doing this on the stage and everything. We don't have to hide this anymore. This is their lifestyle. This is our opportunity to make something uh, against this, this morality that we're supposed to be following and everything else. And so pop music of the 1950s and the 1960s gave way to, the, to the, what's known as the British invasion, right? The Beatles, they came over to America and the rebellion that, that was led by the Beatles, even though it involved this, was not primarily a sexual rebellion. It was a, it was a drug-fueled rebellion, right? Everything that we can do to alter the mind and alter the reality and alter our consciences and all of that kind of stuff. And certainly all those other things were involved in it. Um, but they were, it, it was, you know, their countercultural generation of, well, let's, we're going to stick it to the man, right? And that was kind of one of their rallying cries, stick it to the man. Uh, and then, of course, the 1960s became the 1970s, and, and the rebellion against authority 
found its focus in the, the riots and the sit-ins and the college campuses and everything else about the Vietnam War. And by the mid-70s, this new generation of rebellious rockers gave, gave way to voices like Pink Floyd and some of these other, you know, psychedelic-type, um, mind-controlled type things. Uh, that kids don't need no thought control. That's their quote. Kids don't need no thought control. They don't need to be told what to think. They can be free thinkers. Let them have their own mind. Let them do what they want to do. Let them live how they want to live. And then just when we thought rock music had run out of things to rebel against, he rolled into the 90s with Nirvana and some of these other bands and, and rock music groups that, you know, 90s grunge that, that just gave rise to a fascination with suicide and nihilism and, and all of that kind of stuff. And honestly, that's why rock music has just gotten harder and harder and harder because they, they're progressively looking for something else to rebel against. And when you make everything that they're rebelling against normal culture, then it's not rebellion anymore. If everybody's doing it, then you're not rebelling against anything. So you have to find other things to rebel against. And that's when you start, you know, uh, you get into, you know, shock rock and punk rock and heavy metal and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Because you have to progressively get harder and have something to rebel against that society still sees as something that's off limits. Something that you, you don't go that far. And so that's, I mean, it, rock music, it's not like, oh, that's the way it started. It was rebellion. Rock music is rebellion. Rock music has got its founding in it, and it's got its characteristics in rebellion. That's what makes rock music what it is. I've got a handful of quotes here. I'm not going to read all of them, but, uh, and I won't even tell you the names of the people who said them unless you want to know just for the sake of time. But the essence of rock music is rebellion. It's not just about the ear-splitting sound and the relentless beat. Kids at a heavy metal concert don't sit in their seats. They stand on them and move. It's the spirit of rebellion. Another quote, a pop movement is attractive precisely because it proposed a revolt. Now, I would have you turn over there, but I know most of you probably know this verse in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 23. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And God says this all, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Rebellion. God rejects the rebel. And that's ultimately why God is rejecting those who are embracing the idea of rock music. Whether you put Christian words with them or not, it's rock music. So the first thing is that rock music culture is strongly associated with the rebellion. The second thing about rock music is that rock music has been known to contain, to contain strands, at the very least, strands of blasphemy. Um, I'm not going to spend long on, on this point, there's a lot of examples that we could use, but let me, let me just point out a, a couple. Steve Turner, I, I don't even know who the guy is, but he wrote a book called The Gospel According to the Beatles. And he, he had lots and lots and lots of quotes from, from a book that John Lennon himself wrote called A Spaniard in the Works. And I can't say with any authority of what it's about because I don't know what it's about. I've never read the book, but John Lennon wrote this. And then Steve Turner wrote a book about the Beatles, and he included lots of different things about the Beatles in it. But in 1965, John Lennon wrote a book called A Spaniard in the Work, and he says, in the works, and he says this, the Lennon sermon would have portrayed Jesus as a, quote, garlic-eating, stinking, little yellow, greasy, fascist, bastard, Catholic Spaniard. Tell me that that's not blasphemy against Jesus Christ. 
That's how the Beatles, who were the premier rock group of the day, characterized Jesus Christ. He's illegitimate. He's a stinking little yellow, greasy fascist. How do you describe Jesus Christ that way? And then claim that you have any kind of authority musically, right? You take things like Jesus Christ Superstar. It's a rock musical talking about how Jesus Christ is this superstar. He's this rock superstar. It's blasphemy. You can call it what you want. It's blasphemy. And just to prove the point, Marilyn Manson wrote his own, and, and actually I think he had the, the name of the album was Antichrist Superstar. That's rock music for you. That's the, that's the founders. That's the, that's the promoters of rock music. That's what they think of the one who died on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. That's what they think about him. Still going to follow their music? Still going to enjoy the things they sing about? Oh, it's just the Beatles. Oh, they're 1960s. It's, you know, That's what they think about your Savior. And that's what our music is being modeled after today. Not just in the world, but in the church. Let me give you a third reason. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Rock music negatively impacts your physical body. And if you've ever spent time listening to rock music, which I don't do, but I know people who have, and I know people who would attest to this fact 100%, is that rock music negatively affects your physical body. And it's not just, it's scientific fact. We're going to talk about it in a second. But the Bible says this, and we, this is a verse that we use as a basis for many, many things that we look at in the Bible. The Bible never says, thou shalt not smoke, right? The Bible says, thou shalt not get a tattoo, in the New Testament anyway. Thou shalt not drink. There's lots of principles that we, that we base that off of. Thou shalt not do drugs, right? None of those things are in the Bible. But it doesn't have to be in the Bible if the principle against all of those things is. And that's exactly what this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and verse 20 is. What? And he's asking this question. How can you believe this? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Can you, knowing that cigarettes are bad for your health, take that into your body that the Holy Ghost lives in? Can you, knowing that drugs are going to alter your mind and everything else, take that into your body that's the Holy Ghost? Is that glorifying to him? Does that honor him? It doesn't. And that's exactly what rock music does. One of rock music's primary characteristics is volume, right? Why do people not normally have rock music just low in the background, right? I've, I've, I've walked up to, and, and Kevin, John probably done the same thing. I've walked up to officers' cars, and you can hear the music playing outside of the car. And most of the time, they got the heavy, heavy rock, you know, the hardcore, you know, something to get them pumped up to go do their job, right? Um, why is it that everybody usually... And, and here's the funny thing. You ever got a noise ordinance call? It's not because they're blasting classical music, right? Nobody's ever, nobody's ever in the backyard blasting classical music at a party. It's always hard rock, and it's as loud as it can be. Why is that? Because that's one of the characteristics of rock. To be able to enjoy it, you've got to have the whole immersive experience, right? It has to alter your body in order for you to really feel the music. 
and, and that's when it when when they when they are using that music or listening to that music at that volume it's it's that aggressive beat that that cuts to the very body of the person that's listening to it and there's a lot of research to indicate that rock music negatively impacts hearing hormone production blood sugar cerebral spinal fluid heart rate pulse rate and the list goes on and on that has been scientifically proven that rock music changes your physical body here's another reason why we should avoid it the rock music culture practically demands idolatry out of its stars Turn over to Isaiah 42. This, this is so self-evident that it's really not even arguable, right? Uh, there's, there, there's a reason they're called rock stars, right? We put them way up there in the stratosphere. These guys are on another level, right? And people, I mean, it started, I, I don't, maybe it started a little before this, but, but honestly, it really got its popularity with Elvis, Right? People screaming and hollering and, and, and literally fainting when they saw Elvis, right? And, I mean, he was the one that kind of gave rise to that. But then all these other bands, you know, just, just people following them with a cult following, right? Worship. Worship. Think of all the praise and the adulation that's being heaped on these people. And if that's not enough, then think of the reason why they call it, these shows things like American Idol, Right? It's because that's where they're, they're putting them up on this, on this pedestal. Here's what God says about that in Isaiah 42 and verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. What an interesting verse. Now let me give you some objections, things that people throw out there as reasons why rock music is either okay or why it's not any of our business to talk about it, Right? Let me throw some things out there. Number one, people say this. Classic music, classical music at one time had all the same stigmas. And that's just simply not accurate. Yes, classical music had a number of people who wrote their classical songs that were wicked men. Um, men with reprehensible lifestyles. Men with you know, questionable morals. You're going to find that in any group. right? It doesn't matter what genre of music it is, including... Independent fundamental Baptist music, right? There's been plenty of people who have written songs and hymns and spiritual songs that turned out to be pretty lousy people, right? So if I studied it out, I'm sure I could find the same thing in, you know, amongst composers of every genre. Um, there's, there's no one particular style of music that produces moral perfection. What there is, though, is an overwhelming evidence of a particular style of music and of course, I'm talking about rock music that has its roots and it's, it's present deep in the occult, deep in uh, the things that we historically pair rock music with that we've already talked about. That style is not classical, it's rock. So, okay, is there some composers in classical music that had wicked lifestyles? Absolutely. Composers in Celtic music that have wicked lifestyles? Absolutely. And you're going to find composers in any style of music but the majority of the people within the rock music lifestyle are wicked people and have no qualms saying that here's another argument that people use well you're just out of touch and reactionary you're out of touch you don't know what's going on in the world and and a reactionary is according to the dictionary a person who clings tenaciously to a conservative tradition and is automatically against something because it's new and of course i'm for music that flows rather than rocks Right. But just because 
um, I'm against rock music doesn't, be, doesn't mean that I'm against it because it's new. In fact, rock music really isn't even new anymore. Um, yes, it's newer than some of the other styles that have been around for centuries, but it's not new music. Um, but I'm not reacting against rock music out of some, you know, mindless robotic attachment to Handel's Messiah or something like that, right? Uh, the truth is that I'm not against all new music. In fact, if you read through the Bible, there are a lot of mentions in the Bible about a new song. You see a new song mentioned in Psalms six times. You see it mentioned in Isaiah twice. You see it mentioned in Revelation twice. The Bible is not against a new song. The Bible is not against new music. The Bible is not against those things. But rock isn't wrong because it's new. CCM isn't wrong because it's new. I'm not reactionary to say that it's wrong. The third thing that they say often as an objection to why it's okay to listen to rock music and contemporary Christian music and all of those things is that I have a liberty in Christ and I'm at peace with this music. And you're right. You do have a liberty in Christ. You can do what you want to do as a Christian and, and, and you know, you may be telling the truth when, when you say that, that uh, you have that liberty in Christ and that you're at peace with that, but holding a pro-rock music position under the guise of Christian liberty is zero indication of a type of music's spirituality. And I hope, I hope that comes out the right way. Just because you say you have peace listening to rock music does not mean that rock music is okay. Just because you say you have peace with murdering somebody who was causing a, you know, something bad to happen in society doesn't mean that murder is okay. Right? I know that's an extreme example, but liberty isn't license. Just because you have a liberty in Christ does not mean you have a license to go express that liberty when it's against the word of God. Yes, you have Christian liberty, but no, it does not mean that you can live how you want to. Isn't that what the Bible says? Uh, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Do you have a liberty to sin? Absolutely. But it's not a license to do that. He's not saying, okay, you have liberty, so go sin. No, he's saying, you have liberty, so don't do it. Right? The presence of peace in your heart or the absence of conviction about something is not an indication of the righteousness of a particular position. Just because you say, I'm at peace with this, does not mean that it's right. Or doesn't mean that it's wrong if it's something on the other side of that. But there are billions of people in the world living wicked lives without experiencing a shred of conviction, right? right? There's all kinds of people that don't feel bad about any of the stuff that they do, Correct. right? An absence of the Holy Spirit's aggravation in your life is a lousy crutch to lean on uh, to establish the scriptural validity of your, your, your music and your spiritual position on music. What does the Bible say? Our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, right? Your heart's going to deceive you. Using it as a guide is foolish at best. Here's another, another argument that they use. Not every song or artist is as bad as you make it sound. Usually, this people that, that, that say that in this argument is followed by the lyrics to a particular song that somebody used to get them through a tough time in their life. Or some song that somebody used that, you know, really got them through a temptation or something along those lines. 
Um, people, is, you know, people will point out also that, that some of these rock stars use their money and their influence to do great things around the world, right? Oh, they're, they're using this to, to build well or to dig wells in Africa, and they're using it to feed the poor in this country, and they're using it to clothe these people in this country. And look at all the good rock music is doing and all the good that these rock music groups are doing. And when you have those positive, when you say that about those positive influences, you're, you're painting it with a broad brush at the very best, right? But I can guarantee you that if we were to walk past the trash cans in an alley and start digging through those, you'd be able to find some food that was still pretty decent, right? That reminds me, my dad, um, when I was, when we were younger, my dad used to, um, what, do you know what I'm going to say? My dad used to um, sweep parking lots at night. And we always, there was, there was one particular place, and it didn't matter what time of the morning we got there, we, were, we couldn't wait to get there because there was a donut shop in a strip mall, and the guy who made the donuts would, would work all night. He would be there all night making the donuts so that they'd be ready to go for the next morning. And he always, if he was there when we were sweeping the parking lot and he saw us out there, he'd bring a whole bag of donuts and a couple of chocolate milks. And so the whole time, you know, we would ride, we'd ride with my dad all night, driving around in the truck. And, you know, we'd jump out and go sweep the sidewalk off and then jump back in and, you know, nod off the whole night and everything else. But we were wide awake in that parking lot because this guy might bring out donuts, you know. And most of the time he did. But one time I was, uh, one of my friends wanted to come with just to see what it was like to do the parking lot sweeping and everything else. And so my dad was like, yeah, you can come with us. So, you know, we're sitting, it was just a little cab, but it was kind of like a bench seat. So we're sitting there together. And my dad had us get out to go sweep the, uh, the, sweep the sidewalk off. And he drove all the way down to the other end. And as we got down to where he was at, he, he would go through. And if the trash cans were not completely full, then he would just kind of pull stuff out of the trash cans and, and throw it away. Or if it was full, he'd take the whole, can, you know, the whole bag out and empty it. Well, we got near the end of the sidewalk, and my dad came, and he opened up the, he opened up the uh, trash can. And he looked inside there, and he pulled out this bag of donuts, and he opened the bag and started eating donuts out of it. And my friend that was with me was just like, <laughs> he couldn't believe my dad was digging in the trash can and pulling donuts out and eating them. Well, what had happened was when we were on the backside, this guy had come out and given them donuts. And so my dad took the bag and set it in the top of the trash can so that he could go back and pick those out. He knew they were fresh and whatever else. And it was, just, it was funny. But, you know, I, I say all that to say that, you know, uh, if, if you were to dig hard enough through somebody's trash, you'd probably find something that was still decent. Something that you could eat, something that wasn't spoiled, something that wasn't rotten. But just because I can find occasional edible food in a trash can does not mean that I should start digging through my neighbor's trash looking for my meals. Right? And I think we can learn a great lesson here when it comes to this kind of music. Is there the occasional decent song? Probably. Is there the occasional decent rock artist that is using their wealth and fame and everything else to do good in the world? Probably. But why would I dig through the trash to find that one thing that's edible when I can go to the place where I know that everything is edible? Why would I not just go to the grocery store and get all my food from there or go to a restaurant and get all my food from there? Can I find a decent piece of food in a trash can? Yeah. But think about all the trash you got to muddle through to get to that one piece that may be or may not be decent. When I can go to the refrigerator and open it up and know that pretty much everything in that refrigerator is going to be just fine to eat, right? So 
Why would you look through the trash for something when you can go to a place where everything is edible? That's what I'm talking about when it comes to this idea. Not every song or artist is as bad as you make it sound. Maybe not. Maybe not. But why? Why muddle through the garbage to try to find that one decent song when the, the downsides of digging through the trash are a whole lot worse than just going to the place where you know you can find stuff that's good? Number five. Here's another argument that people use. I've listened to it for years, and I've never had an adulterous affair, and I've never been possessed by devils. Oh, you say that music, is, you know, rock music has its found foundation in the occult, and that it's all based on, you know, sexual immorality and all of those kind of things. I've been listening to rock music for years. I've never had an affair. I've never, I've never been possessed by devils. So let me ask you this then. Is your experience supposed to be the guiding light for your conscience, or is it supposed to be the Word of God? Well, in my experience, I've never had that happen, so I guess all we can say is that the Bible's wrong. I mean, you wouldn't say it in those words, but that's what you're saying when you're saying, I trust my experience over what the Bible says, right? Any kind of Christian at all knows the right answer to that question is, we don't trust our experience, we trust the Word of God. Now, sometimes and most of the time, your experience will line up with the Word of God if you're saved, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you and everything else, but... We can't always trust experience. If our experience differs from the word of God, it's not the word of God that changes. It's, well, I must have interpreted that experience the wrong way. Don't try to defend your preferential music style with the shield of your own experience. It's, it's not about experience, positive or negative. The determination for the spiritual validity of my music cannot be my own life. It has to be the word of God. It, it, uh, because, and again, we, could, we, could go, we can go on about this for a while, but just because you've never felt possessed by a devil does not mean that you've not had that influence. Just because you've never uh, had an affair does not mean that you have not been pushed in that direction. Does not mean that that's not where your mind has been pushed to at different times. And you may be strong enough to withstand that temptation. You might be strong enough to withstand that inundation. Maybe, maybe, but the average person is not. And can you play with fire and not be burned, right? Can you walk on coals and have it not burn your feet? Um, can you get away with playing with fire? Maybe. But Siegfried and Roy got away with playing with Bengal tigers for a long time until the day they didn't. Remember that? Their Bengal tiger, Bengal tiger attacked them, and they both ended up getting killed, or at least, I know at least one of them did, and one of them was maimed for the rest of his life, right? It's all fun and games, and you can get away with playing with those things until the day that you can't. Why mess with it? Here's another thing that people say, my music is not any of your business. But I will say this, it's God's business. It is God's, your music is God's business. And you won't answer to me, and I'm not going to answer to you, but we're both going to answer to God someday for the music that we listen to. And everything we are and do and allow and love and enjoy and reject is God's business. So is it mine? No. But my responsibility is to make sure that you know that you're going to stand before God and you're going to answer to God for the music that you allowed and listened to, and, and not just the music, but everything else that you allowed. And here's the last one that people use often. Your arguments are not convincing. Let's look at it another way. Convince me through your arguments that rock music is okay to listen to. You're going to have a hard time doing that. 
because I know where I stand. I know what I believe. I know, I know, you know, you're not going to convince me that, that rock music is right. But if you can't convince me that rock music is right, does that mean that you're wrong that rock music is acceptable? Not necessarily. Just like if I say, or if you say, well, you're not convincing me, so you must not be right either. The ability to convince somebody of your argument or not does not make one person right and the other person wrong, right? Uh, if, if, if I can't convince you that rock music is wrong, the lack of being able to convince you does not mean that I'm wrong and you're right. It just means that you're stubborn <laughs> and that you're not following the word of God. No, I'm, it just means that one day you'll find out that I was right and you'll realize that you were wrong. Right? That's how we like to look at arguments a lot of times. But lack of being convinced is not a valid form of debate. Anybody can be stubborn on either side of an issue. And just because I can't convince you and you can't convince me doesn't mean that either one of our positions is automatically invalid. So that's, that's a, it's a lame argument to say, well, I'm not convinced. Well, I'm sorry, but that doesn't mean that, that I'm wrong. And when, I, when you can't convince me about something, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong either. Now, let me give you some unsolicited advice, if you will, if you're still not convinced as we close here. Number one, I would say this, study it out. If you disagree with me about the issue of music, don't be guided by your likes and your dislikes. Because of this, that music appeals to our flesh, right? Rock music, you hear a song, and I mean, I mentioned this before, but even little kids hear rock music and they start moving to it, right? They don't even know what the song is or why they're doing it, but they're moving to the music, right? Because that music appeals to your flesh. And if you're going by, well, it feels good, so there must not be anything wrong with it. Well, so does a lot of other things that are wrong, right? It would feel awful good to just go slap some people right across the face, right? But it doesn't mean it's right, right? It'd feel good to shoot some people, right? I'm thinking of a few congressmen and senators in my mind right now, right? But it doesn't mean it's right, right? There's a lot of things that would feel good that are dead wrong. So you can't base what you think about your music based on whether you like it or not. You have to base it on the Word of God. Come up with as many reasons to listen to it as I've come up with to not listen to it. And then convince yourself that it's okay to listen to that rock music. What are you going to come up with? Well, I I like the way it sounds. Okay, that's not convincing, right? A lot of other things, but we've taken up the burden of proof. We've added a lot of reasons why rock music is wrong. If you can give just as many reasons why it's right, then I might agree with you that it's okay to listen to rock music. But I dare say you're not going to be able to come up with very many reasons why it's okay to listen to rock music. Study it out yourself. But the second thing is this, live and teach the truth. In light of everything that we've looked at, you have to consider the immorality of the music style itself. You have to consider the immorality of the majority of the performers. You have to consider the immorality of the majority of the lyrical content, the words that are, that's, that's in those songs. You have to consider that. If, is it right or is it wrong for the Christian? Right? Most people would never go out and have an affair and say that it's okay, but then they can listen to music that's singing about it and all of a sudden somehow it's fine. Most people would never, you know, uh, go out and do drugs, but all of a sudden you can listen to music about it and it's fine. You know? I mean, even, even, you know, country music, you know, 
how many how many country music have a theme of, of a one night stand or you know me and my girlfriend and all this other kind of stuff right I mean is it right or is it wrong and if you wouldn't do it because it's against the Bible then why would you sit there and listen to somebody sing about it because it's against the Bible you can't do it in a good conscience or at least you shouldn't be able to so live and teach the truth. We've, we've tried to honestly and carefully and scripturally lay down some of these reasons why rock music is wrong and look at what God's word says about the subject, but I'm not gonna be the one that answers to God for you. I'll, I'll be the one to answer to God for the direction this church goes in, but that's what I'm doing right now, trying to guide you in the right direction. What you do with it is your choice. But you're going to be the one that answers to God for what you do with your life. You're going to be the one that answers to God with what you do with your music. And I'd sure hate to finally get to heaven and stand before God and realize that I was wrong on that the whole time. Right? All we can do is follow the principles in the Word of God. All we can do is follow what the Bible teaches. And look at the majority of that music. Look at the majority of the lifestyles of those musicians and know that that is about as ungodly as it can possibly be and realize that it's something that I want to stay as far away from as possible. Christian words or not, let's stay away from it. We'll pick back up to this. We've got a few more things that we want to talk about, but it'll be a few weeks before we do. But let's pray, and we'll be done for tonight. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. So thank you for the scriptural principles that we can find in the Word of God, the commands that we can find in the Word of God. And God, I pray that you'd help our, our music in particular but our lifestyles, our, our lives to line up with the word of God so that people might come to the knowledge of the truth because they looked at us. We live, as we say often, in such a way that those who don't know God but know us would come to know God because they know us. And God, I pray that our, our testimony would be a shining example of Jesus Christ living through us and of evidence of the Holy Spirit and his power working through us. Pray that you'd help us to be what the world needs. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.